it's pretty obvious that we live in a divided culture. Division is everywhere. And the worst kind of division is when people attempt to divide what God has united in the order of creation. And this is why we who love God and who are meant to be agents of communion and unity in the world have to continually resist ideologies that seek to separate what God places together. This is one of the reasons why we've talked about gender ideology, which seeks to separate body and soul. Well, we have to resist uh, in what's called uh, materialism, which separates the spirit and material. And we have to resist an ideology that would seek to divide one race against the other, which is often happening in critical race theory. And by the way, because these ideologies are, are a direct attack against our humanity and how we are made in our human nature, they will always and ironically make everything worse and actually make worse the problems that they're trying to solve. But disunity and division is everywhere. It's not just in our culture. It's in our families, it's in our schools, it's even in our churches. And Paul, as he's writing to the Corinthians in today's second reading, is pointing out that there are divisions in the Corinthian community. And he's pleading with them in the name of Jesus to stop having division. And he says, he says that he, he, he urges them to be united in the same mind and in the same purpose. The context is that rivalries were kind of, you know, developing because people were identifying themselves with those who ministered to them in the gospel. And so there are rival camps beginning to happen in the, in the Corinthian community. So some people say, I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Cephas. I belong to Christ. They're identifying themselves by the person who ministered to them and not by the very person who was brought to them, that is Jesus. That kind of disunity was happening in the early church. Nothing like that ever happens today, does it? I belong to this bishop or this cardinal or this priest or this author, this YouTube personality. I follow this person. Of course, there's a certain truth to that. We can follow certain people, but the fact is that our unity in Christ is primary. So what does Paul say? Paul says, was, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? In other words, stop making artificial divisions among yourself because it is Christ who unites you. Your unity is primary. And that's why later he says in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, those who minister to you, they're, they're not much of, of anything. It's Christ and God is the one that gives the growth. It's really important for us to recognize that if we're not careful, we'll fall into the, what the whole world does. It falls into the divisiveness and the kind of dividing families, cultures, schools, and churches. And if we, if we do that, then we're failing to be who God calls us to be, that is agents of communion and unity in the world. After all, we who have received the Holy Spirit of baptism have the spirit of love, and love always unifies. Evil and the devil always divides. That's what the word diabolos means in Greek, one who scatters. When something is diabolical, it's scattering, it's dividing. So as Christians, we need to be apostles of communion. And so what I want to offer this morning are four ways that we can be apostles of communion. And I have to admit, there are probably 
15 ways to do it, but I have to only have a little bit of time in my homily. So I want to offer four ways that which we can be apostles of communion in our families, in our communities, our schools, and even in our parish. Number one, immediately forgive those who've hurt you and encourage other people to do the same. I know of no more efficient way of maintaining division than refusing to forgive. Now, of course, what I'm not saying is that the division that is caused by the evil that happened in the first place is our fault. Certainly, forgiveness implies that we've had some sort of injustice happen against us. So it's not taking responsibility for that division, but it's taking responsibility for our response to the evil that happened to us. As Christians who have been forgiven by God, we have an obligation to forgive others. Our response is our responsibility. And when we do not forgive other people, but we let it simmer in our heart, what we begin to see is division is perpetuated in our families, our schools, and our communities. And this perpetuating of evil, of division, is very common today. Now, of course, most of us know the difference between reconciliation and forgiveness, but sometimes we, we mix these up together. And so sometimes people say, well, I'm not going to forgive because I don't really want to talk to that person. I don't want to have a relationship with that person. I don't really want to be friends with them anymore. I don't think it's safe for me to do so. Reconciliation requires two people, right? It's, it's, it's both people coming together. But forgiveness requires just one person. You may not have to reconcile or be able to reconcile a relationship, but you can forgive regardless of what the person says or does. And so as, as Christians, when we are able to forgive quickly and immediately, we can become agents of communion in our own sphere of influence. And it's important for us to encourage other people to do that as well. Number two, sincerely pray for those that you're divided against. Sincerely pray for them. And encourage other people to do that. One of the best ways of going against division that happens in the human heart is to, sincere, is to sincerely ask the Father to bless people that you're divided against, or people that you disagree with, or maybe even people that set themselves up against you. Because when you pray for them, you begin to grow in love for that person. You begin to see compassion well up in your heart. And I will say it's very difficult to hate someone when you're praying for them. This is why some people would rather not pray for their enemies, right? When we pray for people here at the parish, we don't pray for them because we love them always. We pray for everyone, right? Jesus actually commands us to pray for our enemies and to bless those who persecute us. Thanks, Jesus. That's not very easy. But that's one way we can counteract the, the demonic, diabolical division that happens in the world. Is that we sincerely pray for those that we're divided against. I find that when I do this myself and, and people set themselves up against me and they disagree with me and they cause all sorts of havoc, that when I actually pray for them, the walls of my pride come down. I begin to have compassion. I begin to treat them differently and even treat them in ways that they don't deserve. But that's actually counteracting what we often see in the world. The third way that we can become apostles of communion is to refuse into falling, falling into judgment of the hearts of others. To put it a different way, to refuse to fall into judging the hearts and motives of others. This is really, really common for us to fall into and what the Catechism calls rash judgment. I'm going to quote directly from the Catechism here, and this is what the Catechism says about rash judgment. Someone is guilty of rash judgment who even tacitly assumes as true, without sufficient foundation, the moral fault of a neighbor. 
Just assuming that we are able to judge that, to judge people's motives in their hearts, to assume that this is some sort of moral fault of theirs. And the Catechism continues, to avoid rash judgment, everyone should be careful to interpret insofar as possible his neighbor's thoughts, words, and deeds in a favorable way. In other words, give the benefit of the doubt to others. This is what charity demands, to give the benefit of the doubt to others. And it's very important for us to recognize how common this is. Even very holy people can struggle with this, right? People who are churchy struggle with this. By the way, if you're here, you're churchy, right? We can struggle with this very, very easily. We can just rashly judge someone's motives, someone's heart. And we, we primarily do this for one of two reasons. One, we do this because we are either hurting or we have some insecurity and we see other people through our own pain and insecurity and we judge them accordingly. That's why some of the most critical and judgmental people are probably the people that are hurting the most emotionally and spiritually and relationally. And so we can be project onto other people our own kind of pain and we begin to see other people through this cynical lens. And by the way, that breeds cynicism as we begin to share that with others. The other real reason why we struggle with this at time is because of pride. We simply think ourselves better than others and we look down at them and we judge them. But we can't see people's hearts. We can't know what someone's gone through in their life. And this is one of the reasons why when you, or when we, and I count myself in this, right? When, when we bring to God our pain, bring to God our pride, and we allow him to, to love us in that, we become far more gentle toward others. And that's why gentleness is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And the church needs to be a gentle church that resists falling into rash judgments of the hearts and motives of others. One of the things that I would say is the saddest thing that I see as a priest, I think this might be one of the saddest things, is when people are divided in, in relationships and both of them have falsely judged each other's hearts and they don't talk and they don't resolve their difficulties up to, and, and it can last for years, all because they form these judgments. So number three is re re refusing to fall into judging the hearts of others. And number four, the fourth way we can be apostles of communion is to avoid gossip like the plague. To put it another way, to avoid gossip like we all tried to avoid COVID-19 when it first broke out. To avoid it like the plague. It's really important for us because gossip can destroy relationships. It could destroy families, schools, and parishes. It destroys, not just because it's an offense against the reputation of someone, but it prevents us from actually seeing and knowing the truth in the first place. There's few things that are more deadly to a community of people than gossip. And usually when we talk about gossip, we're talking about one or more of three things. And it's important for us to be specific about this. The first thing the Catechism talks about is detraction. Detraction is when someone without an objectively valid reason discloses the faults and failings of persons who did not, discloses another's faults and failings to persons who did not know them. Let me repeat that. Detraction is when someone without an objectively valid reason discloses another's faults and failings to persons who did not know them. Hey, did you hear about this? Did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you ever happen to so-and-so? Oh my goodness, yeah, that person is this. And all these things 
even if they're true, bad, negative things about people are being spread. And what do you think that does to the opinions and judgments of the persons hearing them? We could be saying true things, but things that are unnecessary without a valid reason, and we can be destroying the reputations of others. Now, of course, when you have an obligation to share something, if you're, if you're like a boss or someone, or you are trying to solve a situation, you can talk about the faults and moral feelings of another, especially if you're responsible for taking care of it. But that's not usually how it happens. Gossip just begins to happen in situations. And when it's rampant, division is everywhere. And what's worse is that in, in, in gossip, in the detraction, right, we see rash judgment often. People are making judgments about other people without sufficient understanding or even foundation. And therefore, often what's happening in gossip, people are sharing something that is actually false. So you're sharing something false about someone's weakness and their failures, and you're sharing it everywhere. And that begins to spread like wildfire, and the person's reputation is completely destroyed. And then you start to see encampment happen, even in families. Well, this person did this, this person did this, this person did it for this reason. How do you know that? It begins to devastate communities. The last thing that the Catechism talks about, with specifically here, is calumny. Another word of saying slander, calumny. It says someone is guilty of calumny when someone, by when someone by remarks contrary to the truth harms the reputation of others and gives occasion for false judgments concerning them. This is when someone makes something up or shares something that is false about someone else in order to destroy their reputation. And sometimes we can even do this by accident if we're talking about someone with something that we're not even sure is true. This is evil, and it can really, really hurt unity in all sorts of communities. You see, love unites, and evil divides. And as Christians, as apostles of communion, we're meant to be leaven of unity and bring unity in the church, unity everywhere we go. And that means we have to resist what we see in the culture and what we see in the world. We have to be Christians that are very, very intentional on this. And that means we need to resist the gossipy cliques that can form in our communities. We need to resist uh, the different ways in which people are talking about other people. And there's different ways we can do that. We can, we can change the subject. We can spread good rumors by, by saying positive things about people. But regardless, we need to avoid gossip like the plague. My brothers and sisters, God wants us to be apostles of communion, of unity. He does not want the church to be divided because the church is meant to bring unity to the world in Christ. I pray that as we come forward to receive Holy Communion, we recognize in Jesus the one who heals all division, the one from whom all unity and love flows, that we beg him to make us apostles of communion so the world that Jesus died to save would come to know that he is the Lord in and through us.